Hello, hello. Welcome to the Exchange Podcast, a platform for dialogue that moves South Africa and Africa forward. My name is Sam Kokeli. This episode is coming from the Deloitte post-budget conversation. Fascinating, exciting event organized by Deloitte to unpack the budget recently tabled by Finance Minister Enoch Kodongwana. We have Kreka lineup. We have Deloitte CEO-elect Roweda Redfern, SARS Commissioner Edward Kiswetter, and the National Treasury's DG Dondo Mukhajani. You're not going to find a better lineup to make sense of what was said two weeks ago. So we are gathered here today to have a dialogue and a deep reflection of the national budget that was unveiled just over a week ago. This was a very positive budget speech for Minister Dogondwana, and our view at Deloitte is that it is a balanced budget for trying times, to use the minister's words. We commend government's commitment to the reconstruction and recovery of our economy, to saving lives and restoring livelihoods, as well as securing the long-term prosperity of South Africa. At Deloitte, we believe that business has a purpose beyond profit and should play an essential role in improving society, including advancing economic opportunities and promoting fair business practices. We also believe that while being profitable is an important indicator for the state of our business, it is by no means the only goal. And our philosophy is therefore purpose beyond profit. We recognize that our long-term sustainability and that of our clients is linked to the health of the societies in which we operate. The past two years have served as a reminder that we need healthy societies from which to draw future clients and employees. And part of our Purpose Beyond Profit philosophy is to initiate or lead a range of such important conversations as the one that we are having here this morning. So ultimately, we seek to make an impact that matters on our people, our clients, and the communities in which we live. We recognize that the budget is central to all three of these stakeholders, and hosting a critical conversation about it helps them make better decision, decisions about their lives and futures. And this is the impact that we make. So we hope to influence such dialogues as the one here today to help shape the economic and social policy for the benefit of society. We are therefore honored to have leading us in this conversation the Commissioner of the South African Revenue Services, Mr. Edward Kieswetter, and the Director General of the National Treasury, Mr. Dondo Mohajani. Thank you both once again for making the time to share your perspectives with us. Ladies and gentlemen, optimal collection of revenue is critical to the functioning of any modern economy. And this year, the institution that collects revenue for us, the South African Revenue Services, celebrates its 25th anniversary. For this budget... So for this budget, SARS collected 1.5 trillion rand, which is 182 billion rand more than projected at this time last year. 
This outcome is said to be due to the high commodity prices over the past two years. But what this assertion overlooks is the work that still has to be put in to actually collect the revenue, to close loopholes and leakages in tax collection, and make the process efficient for both individual and corporate taxpayers. And at SARS, that work takes place under the stewardship of Mr. Edward Kieswetter. Mr. Kieswetter, congratulations on SARS Silver Anniversary, and thank you for your tireless work and leadership. It does not go unnoticed. Ladies and gentlemen, I now hand you over to Mr. Edward Kieswetter to give us his address. Good morning uh, to everyone, and uh, thank you to the Deloitte leadership for hosting us and for creating the opportunity for myself and my partner in crime, <laughs> the DGF Treasury. I'll explain to you now how we are partners um, to address you and share with you what we believe are useful insights to understand uh, what the Minister of Finance and Government is trying to do. I've recently begun to use the analogy that if South Africa were a company, then the President would be its CEO, the Minister of Finance would be the CFO, the Director General would be the Finance Director, managing the Treasury, borrowing uh, to make up revenue shortfalls, and the Commissioner of SARS would be the sales director. <laughs> the products we sell would be tax products, priced at a particular rate. And the question we ask ourselves, because we understand that the integral component or the integral contribution of the role of SARS to the fiscal integrity of South Africa is simply this. The more efficient SARS is in administering or selling its products, the better our sales or our revenue will be, and it takes pressure off the finance director to go to the market and get expensive money to fund the program of government. Because we all know, those of us who have been in business, uh, that it is important to understand that your cheapest money is from your sales, your own money. And so the question we ask ourselves is how do we increase sales? Well, you can do that in two ways. The easy way is to hike prices, right? And we know if we hike prices, you risk losing market share. You risk losing clients. And so while it's the easy way, and sometimes you have to, to adjust for certain things, it's the last resort. Your better way is to increase market share. And that's the role we play. The market share indicator for SARS is its compliance index. And we can tell you that we do not have 100% market share. Our market share at the moment is closer to 65%, which means we can do a better job as a sales department for government. So what do we need to do to improve 
the revenue for government. What do we have to do to improve sales, to capture more market share? We have to do two things very well. The first is we have to build a capable administration, people who are professional, who are technically competent, and who can behave beyond reproach. And secondly, employ data and technology in a fast evolving world where the volumes of data, the millions of taxpayers that we have to serve cannot be done only by shuffling paper and capturing data. And so that's the work of rebuilding SARS. And while we do that, we have to build public confidence. Because while we don't have a direct competitor in this market, we compete against the share of wallet. And we know that people who are struggling, they would serve their short-term, immediate needs and sometimes compromise their tax obligation. So what has happened in this market of ours? Well, in the last year, we know that GDP has nominally increased by just over 12% when the final numbers are eventually printed. In an inflation environment that contributed about 5.9%, we know that employment on our register has dropped from 14.7 to 14.3 million people, but wages have increased by 6%. Some of that wage increase is, um, is once-off where there's a retrenchment payout. Um, bonus payments are variable increase to the wage bill is permanent. That goes into the base. We also know that household consumption is up 10.9%, exports up 23, just over 23%, import up over 21%. Um, we also know that in the economy, and I, I, I point this out because very often the commodity price impact, in our view, is overstated. So from where we sit, we see that Yes, the commodity cycle did make a significant contribution towards the better revenue performance. Our estimate it is probably around 50 billion, but that the rest of the economy also showed an uplift. The year-on-year -year increase in manufacturing is 30%. The year-on-year -year increase in the wholesale and retail sector is 23%. The year-on-year -year increase in the logistics and communication sector is 22%. And so we have benefited from the entire economy uplifting and probably providing somewhere between 60 and 70 billion extra revenue. That's what happened in the market. What happened in our client base? We've added just short of another 1.47 million taxpayers. Not all of them are new. Some of them registered for another tax. Some of them were delinquent and were restored. So 1.47. What has that done to sales? It's added 3.6 billion rand just the work of expanding our register. What actions have we done? Well, first of all, there isn't a straight line correlation between what happens in the market and what happens in sales. We have to harvest that. Let me give you one example. There's something in our law called Paragraph 19.3. Paragraph 19.3 has been introduced because very often businesses are conservative in the estimate of profit when they pay their provisional payments. And then SARS has to look at it, compare it, look at the law, and make an adjustment in terms of paragraph 19.3. By just doing that, we have added almost 12 billion, which would have come, but maybe next year. We have the benefit of that, and therefore it has a huge impact on the time value of money, and therefore the borrowing cost. What else have we done? Well, not all customers pay on time. They have to be reminded. So we have a growing debt book, an unwieldy growing debt book. This year, 
to date. We've had to work through and resolve 2.4 million uh, instances, cases of debt. Not all of that were friendly. We've had to appoint a few sheriffs. We've had to issue um, 5,500 uh, civil judgments, appoint just over 300,000 uh, third-party collection agencies, issue 24,000 letters of demand. Those are administrative actions, which if not done, would mean that revenue stays out of the fiscus. And the longer, those of you know, there's an inverse correlation between the age of debt and its collectability. And so taking action soon is very important for ensuring that revenue comes into the fiscus. That body of work has year-to-date produced 47 billion rand. Then we have the SAD. I'll give you one more example, but I can share many more with examples with you. We have an unfortunate state where we just don't have low compliance level because of negligence and ignorance. We have low compliance because we have members in our community, in our client base, in our public, who deliberately seek to defraud us. Let me give you two examples. This year, we have processed almost 3.5 million VAT returns. We anger some taxpayers because we don't, because of certain capacity constraints, we don't always complete it within our 21 days. It irks us more than you, I promise you. The abuse I have to take on Twitter speaks to that. But 3.5 million VAT returns, when we look at that, it has credit returns of 2.6 billion rand. If we had to do nothing, we would pay out 2 .6, uh, 266 billion rand to taxpayers. But because we have built a risk fraud detection capability using data, using artificial intelligence, machine learning algorithms, as well as the application of human effort, we were able to detect 30 billion of the 266 billion as would have been fraudulent. And so in the number the minister announced, there is 30 billion rand of fraudulent VAT refunds which would not have been there if SARS did not do its work. We service year to date 5.3 million individual taxpayers, people that we think would all be honest. Sadly not. We have seen the abuse in terms of home office claims during this pandemic era. Right? And I've had to... Um, disallow many incorrect or even criminal requests for dedu allowable deductions. The value of the 5.3 million um, returns amounts to about 30 billion of credit claims. Again, if we do nothing, 30 billion would flow out. Because we do verification and compliance checks, ask for additional data, disallow certain incomes, sorry, certain expenses, discover certain incomes that were not disclosed, we raise additional revenue, and in this year, we prevented an outflow of almost 8 billion of fraudulent or impermissible refunds, which would not have been in the fiscus. And so if we add all of these, as Bill Gates says, if you have a million here, a million there, soon you'll have money. And if you add our collective effort this year to date, we can share with you that we have ensured an additional 144 billion of money in the fiscus that would not have been there if you didn't have the sales department of SARS functioning well. 
we have a long way to go. We are far from perfect. We'd be the first to tell you that the rebuilding of SARS, particularly following the state capture era, we have probably not even reached halfway mark. We can also tell the Minister of Finance and the Finance Director there is still a lot of money out there. We are far from 100% market share. Invest in SARS to build our capability because this is the best way to improve our fiscal integrity. And then, of course, we leave it up to the sales director to decide how he guides the allocation of money. And then we hope that some of that money produces productive capacity, new jobs, because that increases our share of, not our share of market, our base into which we can capture market share. So that's our story. Hopefully that helps you understand <laughs> what we do when we're not posting tweets on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner, for your insights. Uh, we thoroughly enjoyed your analogy. Um, and it is very positive to hear about the digitization journey that the SARS has been on and how that is bearing fruits. Thank you very much for that. And we are looking forward to further engagement during the panel discussion. Um, now, please allow me to introduce our next speaker. The Commissioner described him as the Finance Director. Um, and it is really the person whose work and leadership is central to compiling this budget, the Director General of National Treasury, Mr. Dando Mohajani. One of the most stable institutions of the democratic South Africa. <laughs> so one of the most stable institutions of the democratic South Africa has been the National Treasury, which has proven to be an epitome of stable leadership with good internal succession. From its first DG, Maria Ramos, the department is probably the only one that has succeeded to appoint all of its DGs internally. Mr. Mohajani was the latest in a series of these internal appointments when he took up his post officially in June 2017. Now, Finance Minister Enoch Godangwana was recently asked what he plans to do when the DG's contract expires in June this year and the minister emphatically stated, he is going nowhere. <laughs> Having served Treasury for 23 years after joining in 1999 as Deputy Director General. In that period, he has worked in various roles, including, among others, the Intergovernmental Relations, Provincial Budget Analysis, and the International Economic Relations Divisions. He has also been the Deputy Director General responsible for the Public Finances Division. Director General, as Deloitte, we are heartened by government's ability to allocate 17.5 billion rand new funding for catalytic infrastructure and 76 billion rand for job creation programs over the medium term. We are heartened too by the 20 billion rand set aside for the bounce back of small, medium microenterprises, a crucial component of our growth and job creation efforts. And lastly, we are heartened by government's ability to maintain a social safety network for the most vulnerable, whilst constantly reminding ourselves that as long as we do not create sufficient jobs, we will have a significant number of people relying on grants. The one aspect of the budget that should have us all worried, 
the one that should give us all as executives, business and political leaders sleepless nights is the minister's assertion that over the next three years, South Africa's growth will average less than 2%, around the 1.8% mark. We know that this is inadequate to address our country's challenges or to meet all of our population's needs. All of us as social partners, be it business, government, labor, and communities, should be seized with finding ways of changing this trajectory and improving our economic growth path. And I hope that today's discussion will shed some light on how, as different role players in the economy, we can play our part working together with government. We are honored to have the Director General to, um, here today to share the insights of what it took to get what was recently presented by the Minister. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Dondo Mokhajani. Thank you very much, uh, Rueda, and thanks for Loazi. He just helped me <laughs> sort myself out. Uh, <clears throat> the, the problem with this finance director is that he doesn't have a finance qualification. You know? <laughs> He's not an accountant, so we, we you know... We, <laughs> that's the issue. <laughs> I wouldn't want to say that, but Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for, for the opportunity. Thanks to Deloitte for inviting us. We've been partnering with Deloitte for a number of years in this post-budget engagements, and, and thanks, special thanks to Delia. She's been wonderful in arranging this, and many of the colleagues that I have asked that they come and engage with Deloitte in this, uh, you know, just rose up there, you know, took the occasion, and then they ran with it. And, and then they, they, they are just as good as you can imagine. And this exposure really gave them a good platform. And thanks very much to Deloitte and, and to senior mem um, many members of the Deloitte family. Thank you very much. And also to uh, uh, you know, the, the sales director, Mr. Commissioner Kisvetter. Thank you for, for, for the money, for $182 billion. <laughs> And I was going to correct uh, Rueda because it is not only through um, efforts, I mean, or through commodity prices, but... Uh, also, a chunk of it, as you heard, the commissioners, because of the hard work that the colleagues at SARS are doing, and, and thanks to them, they, they're doing a really good job, and, and, and we, we, all we have to do as the commissioners is to support them, and is to make sure that uh, SARS becomes the institution that we all uh, can be proud of, because uh, we were proud of that institution before, and, and those, those, those days have to come back, um, and, and we have to have a good SARS a good uh, you know, tax collector, and that we should all be proud of. Now, in terms of today's deliberations, um, <clears throat> I would like to make a few comments as to what exactly was going on in our minds. I mean, Roeda and uh, Loazi and Delia and I had dinner, and they didn't know that uh, that conversation that we had before the budget, that I was sizing up things from them. You know, They thought, anyway, they paid. I had hoped their credit cards and... <laughs> I was going to bounce so that I pay for them and demonstrate to them that we have 182 billion. But I couldn't say that. You know, I, had to, I had to tell them. But what I said that night to them, I said, look, where we are at as a country, we are in a very difficult space. And, and, uh, and it's going to be a very difficult environment moving forward. 
There are many things hanging in the air, and I left it at that. Um, uh, but the things that, I was, that were hanging in the air, uh, we had to balance them. And we had to balance them, and this budget that you presented was about that balance that, that we, that we, that we, that's needed. Um, you know, to make sure that business is happy, to make sure that the vulnerable and the poor are happy, to make sure that we, we, we build infrastructure investments, we put, as Edward says, put more resources into productive sectors of the economy. We had to do all of that, whilst at the same time, um, you know, making sure that we are able to, uh, to, 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 to take a little bit of the 182 and pay that towards that. And, and it was difficult. So that balance was quite difficult to do. And as you know, the demands, that came very late, by the way. And you would have imagined that during the medium-term budget policy statement, we did not, uh, at the time, indicate that we'll be extending the social relief of distress. So the 44 billion number did not exist. Uh, it only, you know, so, you know, as, as we understood through the, uh, you know, uh, Revenue Analysis Working Committee and the work that they do there between SARS, ourselves, and the Reserve Bank in trying to understand where the estimates are going to be, we had to model our thinking around what's possible. So we're able to, to, to put that money aside to address uh, you know, money for the poor. This budget is putting 59.4 billion, sorry, 59.4% of consolidated spending towards social wages. Not, if you look at many budgets uh, in, in emerging economies like ours, you, you would not find that. But, so it's important that we see this budget as doing exactly that, continue to address poverty and unemployment and to support economic recovery. So, in, 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 in again, and, and there are many criticisms out there that we could have done better, we could have done more. The reality is that uh, already we are spending about 59.4% of this budget in social spending. We, we, as I said, we're also, we're also about talking about restoring public finances. Um, Debt to GDP um, hitting the roof. I mean, 80% debt to GDP is something that we should be worried about for the size of the economy that South Africa is. Um, and, and, and we've been saying, if you remember, for the past 10 years, as debt was increasing, at some point, I remember back in 2011 or so, we are saying it must stabilize at 40%. It must stabilize at 50%. You know? And it's been stabilizing. Even now, we keep on saying... We hope it will stabilize it around the 70s and not increase to more than 80%. But it is doing that because on the side, we have to really make sure that the economy grows. We really make, have to make sure that uh, you know, SARS becomes what it is to collect more in order for us to reduce our borrowing. It's not easy when you look at a budget and you are presiding over a budget that's spending 303 billion rent um, uh, you know, on, on debt service costs. When your budget for health, consolidated budget for health is 280, consolidated, consolidated budget for peace and security is about 220 billion. I mean, you, 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 the, the, it's unsustainable the way it is, uh, and, and it's something that we should continue um, worrying about in making sure that uh, you know, uh, the money that's available for us to spend, uh, we spend in the right areas. On the tech side, as I said, we, it was about balancing we, we, you should be happy, I mean, corporate should be happy, 1% is, it goes a long way, uh, and, and uh, you know, again, we're able to, to make sure that we keep our promise. The, the, one of the most important things that I've learned, uh, Nick was calling me Mr. 23 years, I mean, come on, <laughs> 23 years is a long time, and at some point, you know, you grow old and, and tired. So, 
uh, yeah, let, let's leave it at that. But the reality is that uh, in the 23 years, Nikki, what I've learned is that the integrity of the budget is what, you, you know, and, and when we introduced the medium-term budget policy statement, I think we introduced it in 99, uh, September. we actually did it in November that day, if I remember. Um, you know, initially it was not powerful of a legislative framework, it was just, we, you know, what Trevor Manuel did at the time was just to give an indication of what's going to happen in February. And because other countries were doing it out there, and until we perfected it, but what we say in the budget, uh, and what we say in any speech or in any MTBPS, you know, the market and you obviously will have to keep us, uh, you know, checked. And, and so we wanted to keep our promise, uh, you know, Minister Mboweni, former Minister of Finance, uh, you know, gave a signal, gave a signal ab about a 1% possible reduction in CIT. We did that, uh, but we, we obviously did that for good reasons, and we think we'll have to obviously see the benefits moving forward. Um, we need to do more. We need to do more to accelerate growth. Uh, we need to, you know, do what we said we wanted to do. You'll remember in 2017, we came up with some things called 14 confidence-boosting measures. If you go to the MTBPS of 2017, the most difficult ever, by the way. I always say every year, we always say this is the most difficult budget. But 2017, October, uh, MTBPS... It was difficult because that's the one that led to us increasing VAT by 1%. That's the one that, you know, in, in January of that year. But we came up with some things called 14 confidence-boosting measures. What were those? I mean, it's the same things that we are talking about today, which are structural reform program and what the Economic Reconstruction Recovery Plan says. What are the things that we have to do? We've been talking about them. So again, we know where we should be going. This budget says... There are some of these reforms that we need to accelerate and implementation and, and make sure that Operation Vulindela functions. So, so, for us, I think this budget was also you know, reminding ourselves within government, and sometimes remember with the role that we play in Treasury, and Ed, I, I, I don't know anything about 19.3, 19.3, I don't know. I can only talk section 213. If we're talking numbers, I can only say 213 says. Now, if I'm not wrong, uh, I think 213 established the National Treasury, the Constitution now, you know, uh, and it gives us certain responsibilities. Um, uh, and, and, and again, what we do and the importance of the kind of role we played over the years is to really be an irritant in the system that we operate within. We have chosen to be that, and, but we didn't remove ourselves from government, and we've never even attempted to do that. But the Constitution gives us certain responsibilities that we become that sounding board to the whole of the state and so that the integrity of the state is kept intact. So in this budget, we said, hey, government, and remember we are government, there are these things that you said you should do. Let's do them. And we set up Operation Vulindela again to really be an irritant in the system to push. And But if you know, if you've worked in government, you know how complex it is. And governments are not called bureaucracy for nothing. They are bureaucracies. They are complicated. They are... But look, the reality of our situation is that there's more that we need to do. There's more introspection that we need to make. There are many own goals that we've scored in the past. And again, this budget was saying to all ourselves, as South Africans, as partners, stakeholders in the, in the government system, to say, let's identify the, the, the own goals and let's deal with them. And one serious uh, uh, you know, uh, own goal is is uh, the non-implementation of these structural reforms that are critical and that we need to do.
what is this budget also doing is about uh, you know, strengthening the fight against corruption and the resources that you saw we give to the NPA, the resources we're giving to SARS, the resources we're giving to peace and security. We're simply saying enough is enough. Um, you know, there's a Nugent report, there's a state capture part one, part two, part three and a half. They, we all have them now. Uh, all of them are pointing to the wrongs uh, that uh, you know, we, we you know, you know, were committed in the past. And I think putting money aside, uh, and making resources available to fight corruption is going to be quite critical. Uh, and also, as, as, as the Commissioner says, it's important that we uh, you know, uh, you know, beef up resources to SARS towards ensuring that they have to do what they have to do from a tax collection point of view, including where criminality exists, that it must be detected and be dealt as such. Now, uh, and, and it's important as, as, as we move forward that we we, we do exactly that. We said we will, for instance, uh, in, in, the, in the next few days, make sure that the focus on the public procurement bill, uh, you know, currently not many tenderpreneurs or people who do business with the state, let's call them properly, because tenderpreneurs doesn't exist. People who do be, are not happy with us because uh, we have just stopped tenders. But we didn't just stop them because we like stopping them, but we, we are and we cannot behave like we are a failed state. The Constitutional Court has made certain rulings and we have to respond to those. We have to respect the rulings and we have to act. And whilst actually uh, we're fixing ourselves and fixing our processes, uh, fixing of things that are not, not very clear. So we, are, we, 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 we did that because uh, we are fixing things. We will obviously in, a, in, a, in, a, in the next day or two be filing with the, with the court for the court to be more clear in terms of what the ruling is all about and also will be coming out uh, with some uh, you know, uh, further detailed and further communication to explain uh, later this afternoon on what we should, how this procurement regime should be like as, as, as we're fixing what the court says uh, we, 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 we are out of line. So I just thought I must mention that so that we, we lay this to bed because out there there's a belief that we, we have paralyzed the state. The intention is not that, but the intention is to make sure that uh, the court processes and court rulings are adhered to. We have also in this budget finally uh, says infrastructure remain key, putting money in productive sectors of the economy remain key. And as I think, uh, you know, Roweda gave some small numbers, but there are much bigger numbers in terms of what this budget is. I mean, 800 plus billion over the three years towards infrastructure investments is money that's there. Uh, it's money that has to, you know, you know, the private sector must come to the party with. Uh, we have in this budget also in the Division of Revenue tried to make it easy for the private sector to partner with government in ensuring that at least social infrastructure is, uh, is delivered uh, in, in the most efficient and effective way. I mean, coming to the Deloitte building, I kept on asking Lozzi, this building is something. Can't, maybe we must just swap, come to 40 Chet Square. It's an old reserve bank building, Paul Kruger. There's, there's some Paul Kruger, uh, you know, gold is still in the basement, will open, you'll own the gold, but give us this building. Uh, but, uh, but it tells us, it tells us that there's opportunities that are there in ensuring that uh, not only buildings like these, but the infrastructure that we see around, uh, you know, here. When I became DG, the very first ever public speech that I gave was on a Saturday morning, the day I got I was, you know, I, I but the first Saturday after getting, being announced, there was a, 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 a Abasa 
uh, was it Abbas or Absi, one of those, uh, they asked me to come and speak. And I said, guys, it's important that, and I, at the day I said, um, you know, why can't Alexander turn and become like waterfall and the precinct around here? Why do we keep on uh, ensuring that the apartheid city mentality is, is uh, you know, but it all talks to infrastructure. The apartheid city mentality has to actually change in the way government views infrastructure investment so that something that was not there, it used to be a bush felt uh, many, many years ago in this area, at least towards, and you know, those who have you've been Jobek for a while, that it used to be the DBSA and those two petrol stations only 20 years ago. But look at it now. But it all talks to that partnering, and all that you see is private sector investments that I think this budget also was firming up and saying, let's engage, uh, let's partner so that we are able to leverage on the resources that we've put as a state in order for us to ensure that South Africa becomes a country that we can all be proud of. But thank you very much, and thank you again, Loazi and, and colleagues at Deloitte, for the opportunity that you gave me and, and Treasury to interact with you this morning. And, and thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the Exchange Podcast. See you next time.